The last time we were discussing this formula for Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination. And we saw that this, we take this formula of dependent origination in reverse order. This was the sequence in which the Bodhisattva, the future Buddha himself, discovered it. The immediate problem that he faced was the problem of aging and death. That's the epitome, the high point of human suffering, that we grow old and die. Then he inquired, why is it that we grow old and die? Why do we experience all of these different types of suffering? And then the answer he came up with was, because we are born, because there is birth. Then he asked why birth meaning conception in the womb, the first moment, the springing up of a new life. Then he asked why does conception take place? The answer to this took him back to an earlier life where he found that conception takes place because of bhava, becoming, because we engage in various activities karmic activities which build up accumulations of karma within the stream of mind, the mind stream. <coughs> and it's this constant activity, this volitional activity, straining and striving for this, performing these deeds or those deeds, these actions impregnate the mind stream in such a way as to direct it to a particular realm of existence, a particular realm of being, either the sensuous realm, the kamaloka, or the realm of fine matter, that's the rupaloka, or the formless immaterial realm, the arupaloka. Okay, then the Buddha or Bodhisattva asked, why do we engage in these various activities which fling us into new becoming? We engage in them because of this deep-rooted clinging or holding to the five aggregates, holding to it with thirst and desire, holding to it with wrong views, mistaken views, Okay, then why do we cling to the five aggregates? Why do we grasp them and hold to them tightly? Because we have craving. Craving for sensual pleasures. Craving to go on existing, to go on becoming more and more. Or else, in a few cases, those who have some kind of disgust or aversion to existence, there comes this vipa-vatanta, the craving for extermination or annihilation. <coughs> and as, <coughs> as I said last week, if we really want to take like a very direct or concise treatment of dependent origination, then we can just go from craving all the way back straight to ignorance 
And the reason why we have this craving to go on enjoying, to go on existing, is because we don't understand things as they <coughs> as they really are. And that not understanding, that blindness, that lack of insight, that is ignorance. So in this way, ignorance, we could say, is a direct condition, the nutriment or supporting condition for craving. But in the actual formula that has come down to us in the text, the Buddha takes a somewhat different approach in order to show how craving arises in regard to our actual sense experience. And so he does this by inquiring into pointing out another condition for craving. This is Vedana or feeling. Pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling. And what actually happens, this is a little, when you say feeling is the condition for craving, this could lead to a misunderstanding that somebody thinks that, might think that simply because we have feelings, therefore we crave. And then they might even argue, okay, an arahant has feelings too. The Buddha says, the enlightened one, the liberated one, experiences pleasure, experiences pain, experiences neutral feeling. So if feeling is really a decisive condition for craving, then one could argue even the arhat has craving. And since one goes on experiencing feeling, even as an arhat, right until the time of death, then one could argue that liberation is impossible. One can never be free from craving. And so there can't be any liberated arhat. <laughs> but in fact, what makes feeling a condition for craving is not feeling itself, because feeling occurs to anyone, from an insect to a samasambhuta. But what makes feeling a condition for craving in the, all the unenlightened beings is because feeling is, you could say, it's covered up or enveloped in ignorance, not understanding the real nature of feeling. So when one doesn't see feeling as it is, doesn't understand it as just an impermanent, impersonal event, something dependent on conditions, then one becomes swept away by feeling, sort of one is captivated by them. We would say one is deceived by them, beguiled by them. So one is captivated by the pleasant feeling and goes pursuing pleasure in the thought with the idea that this will bring the final and ultimate satisfaction, the enjoyment of pleasant feelings. When one experiences painful feeling, then one seeks to escape from it by indulging in pleasure, by seeking pleasure. And when one experiences this dull, neutral feeling, or when one experiences a neutral feeling, then one just settles into the state of dull, deluded equanimity, this dull apathy or indifference. 
So in that way, feeling is the underlying condition for feeling, we could say, enveloped by ignorance, or feeling permeated by ignorance, is the supporting condition for craving. Then the Buddha asks, why does feeling arise? Feeling arises because there is contact, contact of the sentient organism with the six types of sense objects. Why is there contact? There's contact because there is there are these six sense bases. Why do we have the six sense bases? Because there is nama rupa, which here I translate name and form. Okay, I'll just go all the way back, okay. Why is there a name and form? Because there is consciousness. Okay, now what is meant here by name and form? First, form, this is the physical organism, a body, which is made up of the four great elements and the various types of secondary matter. And what is called Nama, here I translate it literally as name, but it doesn't really mean a person's name, like, quote, Bhikkhu Bodhi or Dr. Magomada. But the Buddha just took over this expression that really goes back to the period of the Upanishads, maybe the Brahmanas, ancient Indian scriptures. It still seemed to be a philosophical term in current usage. And he took over Nama Rupa and he gave a special meaning to Nama. Not as name in the sense of a designation, but it's really those mental functions which operate to which have the purpose of bringing about the conception of a world, the experiencing of a world, those mental functions which sort of order, arrange, organize the world into a, let's say, in, into an intelligible whole, which are responsible for the organization of the world into an intelligible whole. And he singled out five factors, five mental factors as Nama. That is contact, which is really the condition for all the other higher mental functions, all the other mental functions. Contact, feeling, perception, volition, chaitanya, and attention. Manasikara. <laughs> the first mental function or mental faculty in Nama is contact. Through contact, we contact the world. Um, then through contact there arises feeling by which we experience the world in certain ways as being pleasant, painful, neutral. Then there's perception by which we sort of selectively take note of the distinguishing characteristics of things. Then we 
turn to the world in certain ways, invert to it, that is, attention. We, certain things captive, capture our attention, other things don't. That is manasikara. And then we act. We leave our impression on the world through our action. That is volition, chaitanya. So these are the five. Excuse me? Sankara is actually closest to chaitanya, to intention rather than attention. Sankara is a term in relation to the khandhas. It's used to cover all the mental functions apart from feeling, perception, feeling and perception. In Namna, the Buddha doesn't use the word sankara, but we could understand that these other mental factors are sankaras. And so the commentaries explain that Namna are the khandhas of the aggregates of feeling, perception, and the sankaras. And it's rather strange to understand how Nama Rupa can be the condition for the six sense bases. If we just think of ourselves as we ordinarily go about functioning in the world. But the way this is understood, at least the way it's explained by the commentaries, and I would agree with this, is that Nama Rupa really refers here primarily, though not exclusively, to the beginning of sentient life in the case of a human existence, beginning in the mother's womb. You could say it's the formative process of the embryo as the body, the form, starts to grow and to take shape and as these various mental, fa- mental factors start to operate even during the stage of gestation in the womb. Then it's as this body starts to grow and mature in the womb that first we have the one cell, the fertilized, we call the ova, it's called I think the zygote, is that correct? The fertilized ova. Then that divides, starts to divide over and over, takes shape, this is rupa coming into being. And all the time there's some mental activity that's nama, then as the uh, embryo goes on dividing at a particular point within its development. There come five branches come out. Does that does that happen? Those are the four limbs and the head become manifest. And then those limbs develop into then I guess the der- different organs of sense take shape. Eye as the embryo develops. Eye, ear, nose, tongue. And then, of course, the body is always sensitive. And then all of these are conditioned also for the five, that's the way the five physical sense bases emerge. And then also, as the organism develops, then mental activity begins to emerge. That is the manayatana, the sixth base. In modern terms, we would say it comes with the development of the brain. But actually, even the most, according to the Buddhist text, 
even the most elementary mental functions like feeling, some perception, even some volition in Chaitanya will probably even be there in the very earliest stage, maybe in the zygote and in that very, very earliest stage, even before the brain begins to emerge as a distinct organ. Of course, as the brain takes shape, then the mental uh, processes will tend to occur based upon the brain rather than any other part of the body. So I think some mental functioning will be occurring even before the brain appears. They are not always developed in the same time. We see that in birth, that the baby is blind. You can't hear much, the vibration. But what is very strongly developed, that reminds me of an experience I had when I went to a tunnel of caves for many hours in the mountain in Switzerland when I came out. The first time in my life I saw what the nose is. I was smelling the world. And this smelling is very important in the, in the, in the life of the baby because he must find the milk and he doesn't find it with the eye, he doesn't find it with the ear. Not with his touch, he finds it with his nose. But. So here, uh, hopefully, there, there are several kinds of yeah, stages yeah, yeah. of the lockdown. Yeah, really, that is yeah. Okay, so this is Nama Rupa now, which is conditioning the six sense bases. And now, for all of this to occur, or even the process of gestation to begin, there has to be some input of consciousness, vinyana. That is really the, like the electric current of existence is consciousness. If you don't have consciousness, it's like having the tape player when there's an electric blackout. You have the machine, but no power, no music, no tape recording goes on. So there has to be this input of consciousness. In fact, it's consciousness, all the other mental factors, perception, feeling, contact, all of them presuppose consciousness. Without consciousness, no mental activity. Without consciousness, we can't even say there's rupa in the sense of a body. There's just rupa like a microphone, like a cup of water, just insentient dead matter. But for there to be nama rupa, a combined, a functioning organism made up of mental activity and body, there has to be this input of consciousness. And throughout life, we can see this constant interplay or mutual dependency of consciousness and nama rupa. That's why the Buddhist texts compare consciousness and nama rupa to two stacks of hay, which are supporting each other. If you pull out one, the other collapses. If you pull out the other, the first collapses. 
the two cannot stand upright without both being present. So let us say in life we have, in fact the Buddha says it's not just a simple relationship of consciousness conditioning Nama Rupa, but in some suttas he says Nama Rupa conditions consciousness. So we have how is consciousness a condition for Nama Rupa? The way I just explained. That is when consciousness comes in at the moment of conception that the actual conception takes place. It's when consciousness arises that the egg and the the sperm and the egg which have united initiate a new life. They turn into, they combine and turn into the zygote. And so through consciousness there comes nama as the mental activity and rupa as the bodily process. And then also we have nama rupa conditioning consciousness. How so? Can we have any consciousness without the physical body, without an eye, ear, nose, tongue, physical body with the brain and all the vital activity? Can there be consciousness? You might say, well, when you're asleep, there's no turning of consciousness to outer objects. But still, the sleep is occurring in dependence on the body. Even somebody in deep Arupa jhana in the human world, still that Arupa jhana is based on the physical body. In the Arupa planes of existence, there's no Rupa. There is Nama alone. There is Nama and Vijnana alone. But now we don't. We're not. We don't have to be concerned with them. That's too far away. Just in the human realm, always vinyana, consciousness arises based on the body. And also for consciousness to occur, it needs not only the body, but it's always accompanied by some feeling, some perception, some attention, and some volitional activity. So in this way, consciousness depends also on Nama Rupa. So if we wanted, then we could just cut the chain of dependent origination at this mutual conditioning relationship of consciousness and name and form. Just say name and form is conditioned by consciousness, consciousness is conditioned by name and form. And that's it. One doesn't have to go any further. And there are some suttas which treat it in that way, which treat dependent origination in that way. But that is very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but now the Buddha, in the usual formulation, he has two other factors because he raises the question why does consciousness spring up in the womb? Why does this life process originate? 
In a way, this is almost the same condition, the same question as he asked earlier in relation to why does birth occur? But here, approaches from a different angle. Okay, why does consciousness arise? And here he says it arises conditioned by something called Sankara. The word Sankara, it comes from the root or stem Karoti, which means to act, to do, to make, and the prefix San means together. So Sankara is, it has two aspects. It is the act of putting together, of making, of constructing. And it is also that which is made, that which is put together, that which is constructed. In the formula of dependent origination is understood in the first sense, the activity which puts together, which constructs a living organism. That activity is the activity which we call karma. In other words, this is our wholesome and unwholesome volitional activities. And it is these volitional activities of the preceding life which function as the driving force, the inner dynamism which propels the stream of consciousness into a new existence and which is responsible for the implanting of consciousness, the seed of consciousness, into a new realm of existence, into a new form of becoming. So in other words, it is our own volitional activity the wholesome and unwholesome activity which builds up, which puts together, which constructs first our own psychophysical organism, our own body and mind in this life, and which also indirectly constructs the world in which we live, what we can call the counterpart of our psychophysical organism, the external mirror of our karma. The reason why, not only why we acquire this particular body and mind with its different capabilities, dispositions, inclinations, not only this, but also why we are could say embedded in a particular world is because of our previous karmic activity. And the important thing about our world is that the situations we find ourselves in from conception through right up to the present in a sense mirror, reflect our previous karma. Not exclusively in a mechanical way since present action also affects how the karma matures. But the force which 
puts us into a particular world in which sort of drives us through the drives us along the roadway of life turning this way left here or right there is past karma at least it's the gasoline but <laughs> maybe our present decisions are like the steering of the wheel <laughs> okay when it is said that sankara we call this volitional formations that the volitional formations are the condition for consciousness one shouldn't get the idea that somehow volitional activities are occurring on their own in the previous life and that consciousness springs up for the first time with this life <laughs> so that would also mean that in the previous life there was no consciousness so how could there be volitional activity without consciousness? But rather, consciousness is present all along. The, in the formula, consciousness, which is conditioned by Sankara, that's primarily the first moment of consciousness in the new existence and that continuing stream of consciousness in that new existence. But at the same time that the volitional activities are occurring, they are also accompanied by consciousness. And so in a way we could say, on the one hand, that we could use different metaphors, that consciousness is the ongoing stream of experience, the river of experience, in which all of dependent origination is occurring. Or to change the metaphor a little bit, we could say it is like an envelope or a globe within which all of dependent origination is occurring. And so, for this reason, we should understand that when the sankharas, the volitional activities, are conditioning consciousness, they're not only conditioning the consciousness that's going to arise in the next existence, but they are also conditioning the consciousness coexistent with themselves, the consciousness that goes along with themselves. So as, for example, I'm speaking here, hopefully it's on Dhamma, so hopefully it's both wholesome volitional activity, but my acts of speaking on Dhamma, thinking about the Dhamma, reflecting what I'm going to say, that's constantly conditioning my present consciousness. It is continually we could even say impregnating my consciousness, depositing seeds within my present consciousness. So this consciousness goes along, flowing on and on, and then what happens when death takes place is that particular sankharas sort of, I imagine that they struggle with each other for supremacy, to see which is more powerful, which is, um, <laughs> which is going to take on the role of generating the rebirth consciousness. Maybe it's a little bit, well, we could use an analogy actually, which maybe actually, not so much an analogy, but simply a counterpart of what takes place on the physical plane compared to what, compare the counterpart on the physical plane of what is taking place on the psychic or mental plane. 
Now, when the process of impregnation takes place, or when the male is to impregnate the female, then I think millions of sperms are released and seek to reach the egg, the ovum. And there is a constant struggle, I think, many of those, maybe millions of those millions, even get destroyed immediately within the, um, within the vagina, coming up to the, to the womb. Then when they reach the womb, there's only a few which make it up there, and then they're in a struggle to see which one is sort of more powerful, which one can penetrate the ovum. And then when one does this, it becomes the one which generates birth, and the other sperms are finished. They do nothing. They die away. In a way, it's different with, with the psychic realm. It, it's similar in that all of these, when the person is dying, all of these karmas that they've done in this life, even some from earlier existences, come up at some very deep level. Not that they're all consciously entertained, but they're all struggling, fighting with each other, competing to see which one is going to take on the role of generating rebirth. Then when one of them gets supremacy, depending upon its potency, depending upon a whole complex of factors, that one alone generates the rebirth consciousness. And when that does so, the others don't take on that role and can't take on that role. But unlike the sperms, which just fade away, these other karmas still have their power, still have their ability to produce results, but not to produce the form of rebirth. They only produce results in the course of life. Results like good fortune, uh, meeting with success in one's activities, um, acquiring wealth at a certain time, or else unfortunate results, meeting with failure, ill health, poverty, and so on. Okay, so all of this volitional activity is taking place within consciousness. And then the Buddha raised still another question. Why is all of this volitional activity taking place? Which is, why is there this constant activity engaging in wholesome and unwholesome activities which is propelling on the round of rebirths? And when he raised the question from this angle, he could have said tanha or craving, but it would have been correct. But now we just wanted to show it from a different angle. And so he said, the reason why one engages in this activity is because of not understanding the nature of existence. This is ignorance or avijja. So because we do not understand things as they really are, which means not just not understanding things intellectually, but not seeing and knowing and fully realizing the Four Noble Truths. One engages in those who are just really heavily sunk in the darkness of ignorance. They engage in the, un or they tend to engage in the unwholesome activity 
and they generate bad karmic, bad volitional um, formations leading to a bad rebirth, into suffering, heavy suffering and misery. Those who have lighter minds, brighter minds, less dense ignorance, but still who have craving for existence, for craving for sense pleasures, who have wrong views, wrong views of a good kind, well there's no good wrong view, but wrong views which we could say are on the bright side, they will indulge in virtuous good activities which will lead to accumulations of good karma and which will lead them to pleasant states of rebirth. For example, say, Christians and Muslims, they have a view of creation by an almighty God. That's a wrong view from the standpoint of the highest karma. But they believe that there's retribution retribution for one's actions, that one will, that one's good and bad actions will bring results in some future life and so they tend to shun, or at least they should, shun bad actions and engage in good actions. At least they try to practice charity, some degree of renunciation, kindness towards others, um, even in Christianity some meditation on love for others, compassion, forgiveness, and so that will be wholesome actions leading to a good rebirth. Then some, like the Vedantins, the <coughs> one of the schools of Hinduism with the highest philosophy, they believe in a kind of impersonal, universal Atman or Self, which can be reached through deep meditation. And so they undertake very austere meditative practices and they gain states which seem to correspond closely to the jhanas and even the arupa attainment. And so because of that they will be or can be reborn in the Brahma worlds and in the Arupa realms. But because they don't see and understand the four noble truths, they don't have the knowledge which will break through the darkness of ignorance. And so they still go on in the round of rebirth, but in pleasant realms of existence. Until that karma wears off, and then they come back to the human realm, and then maybe can be reborn in lower Okay, so then just now to take it just back into forward order, because of this ignorance, not understanding things as they really are, beings engage in various wholesome and unwholesome volitional activities, then those volitional activities determine their form of rebirth, that is, they direct consciousness into a new existence. When consciousness arises, even at the moment of conception, it brings along or occurs along with a physical organism, just the one self, that's the beginning of Rupa, and then when consciousness is in then there starts mental activity, 
that's phenomenal. As the organism pleasant, painful, neutral feeling. In response to those feelings, the person the person undergoes craving, begins craving, craving for continuation, intensification of pleasure, craving to avoid pain, craving just to sink into this dull, neutral quiescence. Through craving, the being clings to these five aggregates, enjoying them, delighting in them, forming wrong views about them. Through this clinging to the aggregates, the person engages in more activity, more volitional activity, that's becoming. That volitional activity brings new birth, and then through that new birth, more aging and death. And that's the way the whole wheel of samsara turns. Do you want to describe the picture? Yeah, I can describe the picture. Avidya, we make ourselves a picture of a blind old woman with a stick doesn't know where to go. Some car which should be understood after Venerable Bodhi explained in connection with the Patiṣṭha Samapāda, it should be understood as karmic formation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a potter who makes a potter, breaks a potter, makes a potter, breaks a potter. Which is a condition for... The The monk. Jumping from one to another branch. Cannot let go, must fall down. But this is nature, the form of ignorance and so on. Based upon this, we can imagine the, the, the Nama Rupa as a boat. Two are rowing to simplify it. Based upon this Nama Rupa as a boat with two rowing, we have the house with six windows. The empty house. Yeah. The empty house with six windows. And this house with six windows, through these six windows we get that sense impression contact. And this sense impression, this contact, is like a couple on a bench touching each other. Based upon this picture of this contact touching, we better get a little strong picture about what is happening now, because now the problem starts at its feeling. A wonderful picture of feeling is to have the eye as a target, and in the middle of the eye an arrow, and a tear, bloody tear coming back. Because that is in fact the tragedy, the pathological side of the whole existence we see. Based upon this picture, we have 
Buddha's point of view, we would not, it's not the baby's mind. Yeah, but the Buddha says actually in one sutta, it's in the six, Majjhimanipai number 64, that say with the baby, doesn't have an idea of sense pleasures. What is sense pleasures? The baby has no idea, but still the Buddha says the craving, the tendency towards... That is so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And without loss they can't find the meat, no? Yeah. No, not only that is the whole So the, all of those defilements are still in the baby, yeah. The character is already... 
think they've even found, I read this recently, I think it was in the world of science column, and the they found, or could it be in like a Time magazine or something, they found that they could tell to some extent even the character of the baby, right, from even when it's within the womb, they could tell which babies will be sort of, yeah, will be sort of adventuresome and daring, and which baby active, which babies will tend to be passive and submissive, based on the degree of activity in the womb. So already the character is already taking form or becoming apparent in that pre pre parturition phase. Yeah, I would say perhaps, I mean, to the extent that the characteristics are genetically conditioned, what I would say is that the reason why the, this person has acquired such a genetic apparatus is because it's needed to act as the physical basis, physical vehicle for those mental characteristics to become manifest. Mind goes first. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but the process is anya manya, not in a virtual condition also. To a certain degree. To a certain degree, but I would say that the reason why that particular genetic endowment or that particular genetic structure is required is because to provide the physical vehicle for the mental characteristics to become but the choice of the mind Genetics, it comes from the parents, the parents. Genetic characteristics come from the parents. Yeah, they come from the parents. Yeah, it's the karmic yeah. factor. Yeah. As to have those genetic factors, then the new organism will be able to be Yeah, that's why the new, new being to be reborn will be reborn of those particular parents who provide the genetic material. The frequency of the karma probably the short make the choice of the parents. Frequency? When you see the, the karma, there is the sakti of the karma, tana, 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 which is common to all, but he finds his own, that karma, which is a special frequency, individual frequency. Mm -hmm. And that particular frequency probably is responsible for the choosing of yeah. the parents. I see, I see frequency in the sense of like yeah. radio. radio so there is a response from our uh, yeah. that television and the way it becomes there. Consciousness which is the cause for Lama Buddha, can it transform or change into body? Can the consciousness change into body? Yes, can consciousness become a part of the, of the body, of Rupa? Because it's the, it's the cause of Lama Rupa. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, is it possible that there is a transformation? No, I don't think the vinyana can transform into that the consciousness can transform into the body. Because it's, it's, um, there is a saying when you are always, uh, always friendly and kind, you become very beautiful. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, now I understand it. Th that doesn't mean that consciousness changes into the body. It means that consciousness sort of affects the body. Yeah, so that the body will in a way be expressive of the mental state. Definitely so. No, that's definitely so. 
No, you could say, I mean, it's sort of like somebody who's always... Yeah. Yeah. Definitely it's, it's so. But, but it's not... Wait, that's not true. It's not true that vijnana is the only cause or only condition for nama rupa. Many conditions. For example, the physical body is conditioned by, and also the mind, by food, by ahara, by nutriment. So in order for the body to grow, to mature and to survive, it needs the, um, the nutriment, the food. Environment is very important. Environment. Environment, air, water, and then of course the quality of the environment, all of that is conditioning the rupa. But also the vijnana, the, quali- the quality of the consciousness, that conditions it too. So that, um, say somebody with a heavy with a mind that is always worried, always anxious, they'll have it, it transmits those qualities to the face so you could see lines, worried expression, um, wrinkles and so on. Somebody who's happy, bright, happy and cheerful, they'll have bright, shiny features, smiling features. Somebody who's angry and aggressive, you just look at the person's face, you never met him before, never spoke. But when you see, you know. And that way there's a, yeah. But the consciousness doesn't turn into a rupa, it just it imparts its own qualities to the rupa. Any other, any more questions? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Example of the Because they are essential to annihilate the body form to get out of this. I say there's a tendency for Atakila Mata Yoga to go together with the Vibhavatana. I would say that that is so. So I don't know like texts which actually explain that. Um, so this, I just yeah. Because one can also connect the Atakila Mata Yoga with Bhava Tanha, in that the person might be tormenting his physical body with the idea that he wants to release the soul or the spirit so that it will merge with the universal spirit or will go on to a heavenly. I would say it's definitely the bhava tanha, yeah. I say the bhava, it's more the bhava tanha, the, continu- the desire to go on with continuity. Yeah, these people, after they don't believe in Nikwam. But they want to get out of the karmic world, Yeah, it's a, I would say that the Atatila Mata can go with either, um, depending upon the view of the practitioner. Strangely, some of the yogis who even believed in annihilation at death, in fact, usually in the text they're depicted not as sensualists who just enjoy freely sense pleasures, but as the austere ascetics who practice the self-mortification. Even though it seems that if we're going to be extinguished anyway at death, there's no reason for them. 
self-mortification, but they do it anyway. You know? Even Mahamiya Kamsi Yes, I'm not sure. But this is regarded as the highest practice for the Jains, is to go on a complete interminable fast until one starts to get the Chaitasikas include more than the Sankaras. The Chaitasikas include feeling, perception, and according to the Abhidhamma system, there are 52 Chaitasikas, 52 mental factors. Then of those 52, one is Vedana, feeling, one is perception, Sanya, and then the other, <coughs> the other 50 Chaitasikas are put in the Sankara and But here I'm using Sankara in the formula for dependent origination. It's not completely identical with Sankara as the Khandha. Sankara as the Khandha has a wider range, includes many other mental factors, whereas Sankara as in Patisha Sambhupada means just volition, just Chaitanya, volitional activity. Karma formation which is not necessarily in other, other uh, translation of Sankara. No? Then the Khandas, the Sankara Khanda, can have a broader range, meaning all the mental, mental factors except perception, a feeling, perception, and consciousness. Okay, any, any more questions? Okay, then I think we will conclude for this evening. There's still more to say about this. We continue next week.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.